I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, on Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born to the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. Thank you, Brandon. You're probably thinking, oh boy, this is going to be good. <laughs> but it's in the Bible, and we've got to talk about this, don't we? Yeah. Um, remember maybe a month ago when we started to go through Second Peter, we kind of gave a general overview and I had a picture, I think it's in your bulletin, of an arrow. And that kind of gives us the big picture of the book of Second uh, Peter. And I kind of want to review that just a little bit. An arrow is made up of three parts, right? You know, there's the point and there's the main shaft and then there's the feathers. And first of all, if you look at the feathers... Uh, in Second Peter, you have warnings, reminders, and promises. Warnings are nothing more than words like, hey, watch out for this, or beware of that, or be careful about that, or pay attention here, stay on the alert. I mean, those are all warning words, and Second Peter is full of them. One example is found in chapter 3, verse 17. Dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men from your secure position. Be on your guard. Warnings. But not only warnings, you have your reminders here. Reminders are words like, hey, remember, uh, don't forget, uh, keep this in mind. And Second Peter has a number of reminders and he draws upon the warnings to bring to mind the reminders we are to apply very carefully. And, and chapter 1 verse 12 is a classic example of reminders. Listen, so I will always remind you of the things even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. And then verse 13, I think it's right to refresh your memory. So you got warnings, you got reminders, and then the third feather, there are promises, words like hey, count on this, or rely on this, or believe this, or God has promised this, or it'll come to pass. I mean, look at chapter one and verse four. It says, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you might participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil 
desires. So you got the promises, his very great and precious promises. And so these three feathers are kind of woven like silent themes throughout this book. And they fall on deaf ears if there isn't a way to keep them like in the mainstream of our lives. And so we need to have, you know, a main shaft, do we not? Diligence. And that's how the King James Version puts it. The New International Version puts it this way. Make every effort, you know, to heed the warning, to keep the reminders uppermost in our minds, to claim the promises. It's going to take some diligence. It's going to take a little effort. You shift your mind into gear and you, with diligence and effort, carry out that game plan that God has set forth. And so let's look at a few examples of that shaft, diligence. Chapter 1, verse 10. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager. Some versions say, diligent. And then look at verse, uh, chapter, 13, or chapter 3 and verse 14. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless. Make every effort. Be diligent. That's the shaft of the main arrow. And then the point of the arrow Remember we said about a month ago that it's that four-letter word, hope, and we had a little acrostic. You know, the H is for heed what you already know. Uh, The O could be for open up your eyes, open up your ears, you know, put your spiritual antennas up because of these false prophets. And then the P could stand for pursue a godly lifestyle. And the E is expect Christ's return. And we said chapter one is all about moral corruption. Chapter two is all about doctrinal compromise. And chapter three is about prophetic concern. So remember that Peter is writing to Christians here. Peter is writing to believers here. And he's encouraging them to grow. And he's defending the trustworthiness of the Holy Scriptures that that we have been trying to do for the last two weeks, talking about the Bible, talking about the Scriptures. And they were having problems with false teachers. And they were within the church. And they were messing with the minds of the people. Thus the title of my message today is called Counterfeit Christianity. Now there's a kind of interior decorating called trompe l'oeil. And uh, if you, we see this uh, picture up here, that's an example of a, a way of painting and it, it, it fools the eyes. It, it looks three-dimensional. It looks like this guy is crawling right out of the picture. But it's just, it's just a picture. You've seen you know, some of the sidewalk art, and they're like, they paint like a big, a big cavern or make it look like a cavern. It's like, ah, I don't want to step there because I'm going to fall in this big hole. But it's not. It's just an optical illusion. And it's called uh, trompe l'oeil. Imagine a total blank wall, and someone paints a, a window on the wall, and maybe even with a kind of an outdoor scene, and for all practical purposes, it looks just like a window, but it's, it's not a window. <laughs> it fools us. In fact, that's what trompe l'oeil means. It's French. Trompe meaning to fool, and l'oeil meaning the eyes. To fool the eyes. Trompe l'oeil, to deceive. Have you ever been fooled? I have. <laughs> Reminds me of one of my favorite stories about the guy that took a job at the zoo to dress up as a gorilla. They're trying to get more people there and they said what you need to do is dress up as this gorilla 
and get in the lion cage and swing back and forth and tease the lion and you'll, you'll get a crowd and everybody will be talking about it. They'll tell their neighbors and everybody will come to the zoo. And so he's doing it one day and the rope broke and he was scared. He didn't know what to do. And this big old lion was growling and the big old lion walked up to him and put his big paws on this guy's shoulders who was dressed up as a gorilla and the guy inside the gorilla suit said, I'm not a gorilla. I'm not a gorilla. I'm not a gorilla. And you could hear a voice from the inside of the lion saying, shut up, or you're going to get us both fired. (laughs) All of us at one time have been fooled. We've been ripped off. We've been burned. And I guess a nicer word would be duped. Maybe it was a financial scheme. I had a farmer friend uh, that lost $35,000 growing artichokes. Uh, he was duped by a traveling salesman, and the guy took the money and ran. Maybe it was a person, that person developed a little bit of trust, and later on that person was not at all what he or she seemed to be. You were deceived, and I tell you what, we've all had heartaches and headaches from people like that. Many of us have learned the hard way, you know, the simple lesson that maybe everybody cannot be trusted. I heard a good one about a young man that was talking with a very successful older man. What is the secret of your success? And the older man said, well, good decisions. So the younger man writes it down, good decisions. Well, how do you learn to make good decisions? The old guy answered with one word, experience. And the younger guy wrote down experience. Well, how do you get experience? The older guy answered, bad decisions. All of us have our war stories, do we not? But I think I would be safe to say out of all the bad decisions we could make, among the worst is a decision to follow a religious counterfeit. And if the truth were known, some of you uh, listening right now know personally what I'm talking about. Some of you maybe for years have followed maybe a fake, you know, it might be somebody on the TV or on the radio, uh, a phony, a religious phony, and that person maybe appeared to be one thing. Uh, That religion appeared to be one thing, and it was not that at all. You know, counterfeit is an interesting word. It means contrary to fact, a counterfeit, contrary to fact, opposite of what it appears to be. But don't misunderstand, counterfeit does not look like a fake. Counterfeit looks real. Counterfeit smells real. Counterfeit feels real. Trump loy, remember, to fool the eyes. Counterfeit money looks like real money. You know, instead of earning a college degree, many buy them. And they have these store-bought counterfeit college degrees hanging up there in their office. But it says PhD by his name. Let me say it again. Out of all the counterfeits and phonies, none is worse than religious phonies. And let me add, counterfeits are not dummies. Uh, People that are fakes are extremely skilled at their craft of deception, and it's been going on for centuries. This is nothing new. Most of them in the religious realm have learned it from their father, the devil. And before I get into 2 Peter, I want us to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 to 3, so that we can identify the original counterfeit. And I call him the great imposter, 1 to 3 of 2 Corinthians 11. I hope that you will put up 
with a little of my foolishness, but you are already doing that. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Jesus Christ. So Satan deceives. And Eve was deceived by the, by the serpent's cunning. And he attacks our minds. I mean, do you see that? It says your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Jesus Christ. Why the mind? Well, you see, if Satan can get to the mind, the emotions and the physical will follow. But remember, he's the original counterfeit. And he doesn't carry a sign around saying, Hi, I'm Satan, and I'd just like to deceive you today. Ah, no. Look at verses 13 and 14 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Again, let me remind you, counterfeits look real. Satan even masquerades as an angel of light. These false prophets, I'm sure, are loving people. They're kind people. They're caring people. They're intelligent people. But they are truth twisters and mind benders. And they, they'll love you all right. They'll love you uh, straight to the very pit of hell. False teaching, false prophets have been around for a long, long time. And it continues to go on. Jesus even said concerning the last days in his Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24, verse 5. He says, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. Because of that, we really, really need to hear what Peter is writing about here in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. And on the basis of these three verses, let me point out four characteristics of false communicators, people that lead people astray, are characterized by one or more of these false characteristics that Peter presents in these three verses. Number one, they deceitfully present heresy. They deceitfully present heresy. Look at the first part of verse 1 of 2 Peter chapter 2. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. I mean, this is nothing new. They've been on the scene for years, and they're currently in our midst, they're in our country. They're in our state. They're in our world. And what is it that they do? They secretly introduce destructive heresies. Did you know that the original meaning for heresy conveyed this idea of making a choice? With cleverness and deception, false teachers will bring their teaching right alongside like orthodox teaching, and they will introduce their teaching so that it might appear more plausible than the truth that you have been taught as a child. They present their information and they will color it or at least call into question the truth that you and I have been taught and then you are forced to make a choice between what they have presented that seems so plausible, makes good sense, such good sense, and calls into question what you have been taught. Will you choose that teaching which is like new and exciting, you know, I never thought of that before, uh, you know, full of promise, full of hope or Will you stay 
by this old line of information that you have been taught since your earliest days. And you know, Jeremiah was even dealing uh, with this in the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 6, when he's talking about false teachers and false prophets, you know, he says, you know, they're not, they can't even blush. And here's what Jeremiah says. This is what the Lord says, Jeremiah the prophet. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. The idea of making a choice is at the very heart of this word heresy. Drop down to verse 3. Let me mention something about the words that they use. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories that they've made up. Another version says false words. The Greek word is plastos. Um, false. And guess what English word we get from it? You know, we get plastic from that. You know, from the Greek adjective, adjective translated false. It means to make up or fabricated. One guy said in talking about the cults, he said this. They use our vocabulary, but they do not use our dictionary. They use our vocabulary, but they do not use our dictionary. Oh, they use words, and they talk about salvation. They talk about inspiration. They talk about sin. They talk about heaven. They talk about hell. They talk about saved. They talk about resurrection. Same vocabulary, but different definitions. A different dictionary. It's like the word marriage. What does that mean? What does that mean now? Gender, what does that mean? There's 40 genders? What does that mean? Where do you get that? When does life begin? Listen to the terms that are being used. Continue to compare what is communicated with the orthodox truths set in Scripture. This is what we've been talking about for the last couple weeks. Time-honored truths of the gospel. They deceitfully present heresy, and that's one characteristic of a false teacher. Margaret Sanger, you know who she is? One of the founders of Planned Parenthood. Margaret Sanger. I bet you a lot of you didn't know that she was a racist according to her own writings. Did you know that? You should read some of the things that she wrote about. She praised Hitler for his racist politics of eugenics. She called blacks human weeds and reckless breeders. She was even against Italians. A lot of you don't know that about Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood. They deceitfully present heresy. Again, that's one aspect of a false teacher. What's another? Number two, they openly deny the truth. I mean, look at the last part of verse one. When pressed into a corner and forced to face facts as presented in Scripture, they deny the truth. See the way the verse concludes? Even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them bringing swift destruction on themselves. False teachers are better known for what they deny than for what they embrace. They deny 
here's some things. They deny the verbal inspiration of the scripture. They deny the sinfulness of humanity. They deny the blood atonement of Christ on the cross. They deny salvation by grace through faith apart from works. They deny the deity of Christ and, and that certainly includes his virgin birth. They deny the, president, the, the presence and the, the, the activity of a literal devil. Uh, they d- deny his coming and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, they deny his resurrection from the dead. You may ask, are such people saved? You know, according to what Peter writes in this chapter, we clearly say they are not Notice they deny the master, the sovereign Lord who bought them. Verse one says they face swift destruction. And then if you look at verse 19 of chapter two, it says they are slaves of corruption. They're slaves of depravity. I mean, this chapter, it's a severe chapter on false teaching. These false teachers who are unsaved, they deny the master who bought them. I think it's interesting to note that Jesus Christ bought them. They're people who matter to God. Jesus bought them. Jesus died for them. But they have chosen to go a different path. And they've been deceived. And now, they're deceiving others. False teachers deceitfully present heresy. Second, false teachers openly deny the truth. And then third, verse two, they unashamedly model sensuality. I mean, look at verse two. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. You know, an extremely vivid term is used here for shameful ways. It's a Greek word that represents kind of latent immorality. It describes the attitude of one who has lost their shame. You know, they're past past the stage of concealing sin now, or being ashamed of it. In fact, he's rather proud of it. And I want to reread uh, that passage in Jeremiah chapter 6. And it's talking about false teachers uh, way back there in the Old Testament. It says, are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct? No. They have no shame at all. They don't even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen. And they will be brought down when I punish them, says the Lord, and then he says, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Now we can understand the reasoning behind their commitment to heresy. You know, in order for you to be free of shame, or think you might be free of shame, is just, all you gotta do is redefine purity. That's all you have to do. And you can hear it again, you know, homosexuality is not a sin anymore. You know, all these different genders, you know, some new information here. It's not God created people male and female anymore. It's like there's 40 other genders that, you know, they're teaching our kids in school. Really? Hmm. Adultery is not a sin anymore. You know, greed is not a sin anymore. Racism is not a sin anymore. You see, you must change the standard of holiness And if you fuss around with the term long enough, you can bring the standard down to the level of your lifestyle. And then you're just free to live as you please. Do whatever you want to do. See, we all believe the Bible, don't we? Until it contradicts our lifestyle. 
These false teachers believe in cheap grace. Not freedom to obey, but freedom to do as we please, when you wish, with whomever you wish. The Apostle Paul addresses this age-old problem in Romans chapter 6. And he asks the question, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? He says, may genita, may it never be, by no means. By the way, false teachers have a big following. Verse 2 says, many will follow. Many will follow. Hey, you want to have a big following as a teacher? Get real sloppy with grace. People will love it. People will come out of the woodwork to follow your teaching. Hey, maybe I should try that. Hey, no need to repent, anybody. People will love to be told that their sin is okay. That's called having your ears tickled, by the way. People love to be made to feel good. I call that hot tub religion. (laughs) You see, to be confronted with our wrong is an uncomfortable experience. And we would much rather be around somebody not nearly so grumpy or cranky, right? It's much easier to listen to somebody who's telling us, you know, how, how great we are and how good we are and how we shouldn't worry about our lifestyle of sinfulness. In fact, they say that's why we have grace, and God understands. May genita, may it never be. Again, let me say grace is not being free to do as you please, it's being free to please God, and if you please God, it doesn't matter whom you please, or whom you displease. If you displease God, it really doesn't matter whom. You please, so so shall we sin so that grace may abound, may genita, may it never be. But not only will you be popular as a false teacher, you also bring reproach to the name of Christ. You'll bring reproach to the name of Christ. You will bring the way of truth into disrepute. You know, when some priests uh, get caught, and it could be a pastor of an evangelical church too, um, messing around with little boys. How does that sound to you? Does that sound like it's okay? It brings disrepute to the gospel and the cause of Jesus Christ. So false teachers, number one, deceitfully present heresy. They call into question the long-standing truths of the Bible. Number two, they openly deny the truth. In order for you to know that, you've got to be informed of the truth, and so must our children. It's extremely important that we continue to raise our young ones, you know, under the sound, loving teaching of the Scriptures. They won't learn it on their own. They've got to be instructed by people who have information that's reliable that we talked about last week. The scripture's reliable and trustworthy. And number three, they unashamedly model sensuality. Isn't it interesting in some of the more notorious cases of false teachers, like you know, some of you old timers, you know, you remember Jim Jones in the 70s? You know, he took 900 people down to Ghana, had them drink the Kool-Aid, and they all died. 
You know, he was kind of an evangelical guy. He was winning people to Christ. He was cared for the poor. He was sending college students to college free of charge. He was helping people out. Very deceptive. Jimmy Baker. I think he's repented. But when the truth finally became known, they had many women. They had a loose moral lifestyle. And when the truth was known, they were even proud of their freedom to live as they please. And it's all part of what 2 Peter 2.2 2 is teaching. They unashamedly model sensuality. No way could you bring them to this place of conviction. Somebody had to pull the covers off them and expose the evil and the sin. And it happened. Number four, they selfishly represent greed. I mean, did you catch that in verse three? In their greed, these teachers will exploit you. Exploit. False teachers are master, they're masters at exploitation. It means to take unfair advantage of for financial gain. You know, send me that, send me that $100 bill. You know, it's gonna return to you tenfold. It's going to return to you hundredfold. Send me that $100 bill. One commentator writes about this word. We see here the cause of false teaching. The cause is evil ambition. The word is pleon axia. Pleon means more, and axia comes from a verb which means to have. Pleon axia is the desire to possess more. It can mean covetous desire for more money or for other people's goods, or a lustful desire for the person of someone, an unholy ambition like for honor and prestige and power. A true minister of the gospel doesn't do what he does for the money. And if money comes, it's, it, it doesn't come because it's his or her motive to get rich or to exploit others. A person who has integrity has nothing to hide. His or her books are open, doesn't flatter, doesn't try to kiss up to the wealthy, doesn't play around with lust, doesn't require unquestioned loyalty. These are all characteristics of a greedy style of teaching. And those are the four characteristics. Let me review. Deceitfully present heresy, openly deny the truth, unashamedly model sensuality, selfishly represent greed. I came across an interesting statement uh, a while back, and I think I wrote part of it on the back of the bulletin. But the American Banking Association once sponsored a two-week training program to help tellers detect counterfeit bills, and the program was unique. Never during the two-week training did the tellers look, ever look at a counterfeit bill, nor did they listen to any lectures concerning the characteristics of counterfeit bills. And, and no one was denouncing really the manufacture of counterfeit bills. All they did for two weeks was to handle authentic currency. Hour after hour, day after day, until they were so familiar with the true, they could not possibly be fooled by a guy in a gorilla suit or by trompe l'oeil. They could not possibly be fooled by the false. And I tell you what, that's great counsel for us as believers in Jesus Christ. 
And I challenge us all, and I've been doing this for the last couple of weeks. We've been talking about the inspiration of the Bible and uh, some of the, the passage right before this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. But I challenge you to traffic in the truth. Traffic in the truth. Stay on the side of orthodoxy. Carry your Bible. Continue to refer to your Bible. Yes, there will be many questions that you will have. You're going to die with questions on your mind. And if you're a perfectionist type, it's going to drive you crazy because you can't get all your questions solved or answered. You'll have good teachers who disagree with you, maybe on some gray area, not on the, the important things, but on the below-the-line issues. Christians disagree on a few things that aren't that important, they will dis- but they will not disagree in the foundational time-honored truths of the Scripture. Like the, they will not disagree on the person of Christ. They will not disagree on the authority and the inspiration of Scripture or the fact of our sinfulness or the reality of Christ's virgin birth or his death on our behalf or his atoning blood that can wash away sin. They won't disagree on his bodily resurrection from the grave and his soon coming. They believe in what the reformers believed in, right? They'll believe in Scripture alone. And grace alone, and faith alone, and Christ alone, to God be the glory alone. Those are the truths that are absolutely unbendable and untwistable. I love to tell the story. Because I know it's true. It satisfies my longing like nothing else can do. That's a good old hymn of the church, and we're going to sing it right now. I invite the praise team to come up. But I love to tell the story because I know it's true. It's true because it is. It changed my life, changed my brother's life, changed my mom's life, changed my dad's life, changed many of your lives right here. You could stand up right now and testify of how the truth of the word of God has changed your life. Before we leave, I just encourage you to traffic in the truth. If you haven't opened up your Bible in a while, open it up and just start reading it. And when you tell your story, don't forget to tell the story. Tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, because the truth sets people free. Amen?